I heard you say a couple of things today that I'm definitely going to be walking away with. Um, one is the importance of purpose and 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 driving myself. Uh, and the second is, you know, trusting trusting the gut uh, and the importance of doing that. Sometimes, even if the data tells you otherwise, you kind of reinforce and reiterated my desire to continue to read voraciously, and so I appreciate that a lot. And you know, this idea of being a leader that amplifies. Uh, and I'll definitely be thinking about this concept of shooting bullets versus cannonballs for the next next uh, few months. And so I've learned a lot from this conversation, Hazel. The time's flown by, uh, but I really appreciate you for taking the time to chit-chat. Thanks for... Uh, listening into another episode of Talks with T. Uh, I'm very honored today to have uh, Hazel Jackson, uh, founder and CEO of Biz Group. Uh, Hazel has been uh, a BizAd customer for a few years, so uh, we've had I've had the pleasure of interacting with you and see your amazing business grow over the past four years. Uh, for the audience that don't know us uh, or, or don't know the company, I'd love for you to just kick off by introducing Sure. Um, well, thank you very much for having uh, me here today. It's exciting to to talk to you. Um, the business now is, I suppose, at this sweet spot between human interaction and technology-enabled learning. So, uh, but that's not how it started 30 years ago. So, so it's evolved an awful lot. But we work with corporate clients, with government in the UAE and in Saudi, particularly, um, helping them get their people from point A to point B in order for the company to grow and scale and meet its business strategy. We all know that people, you know, getting the right who is what makes a business work. And so our job is to help companies make those people perform better. Absolutely. Uh, I can imagine that succinct vision and purpose of the company isn't necessarily how your journey started. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think it always had an underpinning okay. reason. And I think, you know, we all learn as entrepreneurs that purpose is key. What's the purpose? Why do you do what you do? How do you 30 years on still get up and go, hey, I love doing what I'm doing. Um, and my purpose was always about enriching lives. Um, because if you actually come to work, get on my soapbox now but if you come to work and you have a good day um if you in feel like you've made a difference if you feel like you've contributed to something you probably go home and you may be a better mother or father or husband or wife um maybe you get promoted maybe you can give your family a better start than they could have had before um and so it all comes back down to how we help people do a better job mm. but do it in a way that's not just about the sales numbers or the software development or about the the bank being more profitable but about enriching their lives yeah. um related to work so yeah. so that's not changed in 30 years but everything else has <laughs> yeah. one common theme that i've seen from having conversations with multiple entrepreneurs is this idea of having a purpose that really becomes the fuel for the engine how does one find their purpose? Great question. Um, you know, the, I think there's a couple of things. I don't mm. think you necessarily, well, I certainly didn't, I couldn't articulate 
enriching lives through learning 30 years ago. What I could articulate is what I liked doing was watching the light bulb go off in somebody else's head when you said something or you showed something and they thought, oh, I could do that Mm -hmm. and maybe that would help me do my job better. And so that little moment, that light bulb, it took me surrounding myself with a few other people who actually understood what the learning business was all about, the training business back then. And I started to realize that the impact that we could have, um, I think labeling it takes a little bit more time, Mm. but it's actually already inside you. The why you're doing what you're doing certainly shouldn't be make money. Mm. Um, It needs to be something else. And but getting a label on it might take you a little bit of time. And it's just typically a, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Just stop short of saving the planet, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what does it really mean if you get this right? What yeah. would it look like? How could you describe it? Um, and then don't kind of like go out and announce it to the world on day one that you've come up with the words. Let it simmer, mm. let it sit, let it see whether it's going to have longevity because really your business purpose and that might be different for different business units, um, is forever. It's not anything you ever actually achieve. You're always heading in that direction. Yeah. Spot on. I mean, for me, I would say only in the past year or two have I started to understand the articulation piece. There's always been something inside of me that's been built around this idea of empowering people to fulfill their full potential. And Mm -hmm. only now can I put it into words. Uh, And exactly what you said, when I'd see team members grow, take on challenges that they never thought they could take Mm -hmm. on, that's when I'd feel, all right, this is why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you said. It's inside of you and then somehow it just starts translating into words. I read somewhere that you came to Dubai in the 90s with $700 in your in your pocket. I don't know if this this is a, an infamous story at this stage or if it's factual, but I'd love to kind of hear totally about your true. about your beginnings in, in the um, Emirate. I came to launch a product for a client. I was working for an advertising agency in mm. London, and they said they wanted to launch a product at an exhibition back then called Britain in the Gulf. Um, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was big deal <laughs> yeah. back then. Um, and I kind of like said, do do what? Where are we going? And anyway, I came with this client. I found the conference organizers, the exhibition organizers. We built a stand. We launched the product. We did some media and marketing around it. I was in my early 20s, um, but I'd done quite well in the ad industry in London. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is actually a really vibrant city. Now, 1992, I'm yeah. talking about Sheikh yeah. Zayed Road is a two-lane highway. Yeah. We're really downtown. I was at the Hyatt Regency, Correct. I think it was, with, with the, the with a turning, with the turning restaurant. restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I started thinking, I came kind of three times for this gig, and I really found just something was speaking to me. Mm. And I I went back to the agency and I said, I think I'm going to resign. I'm going to start a business in Dubai. And they said, have you got a business plan? Uh, No. Have you got any money? Mm, No. Um, Do you want to take a sabbatical and make it kind of like six months and see how it goes? Mm, no, I need to burn my bridges because I knew that if it got tough, 
the first thing I'd be able to do is to go back to my job in London. So I packed up my stuff. My family all thought I was absolutely nuts. I didn't have enough money, $700. You can't start an advertising agency. And I was the salesperson, so the suit, not the creative. So I didn't even have any creative skills I could sell. Um, But I had met a gentleman while I was doing these trips over to Dubai, and he owned the Gulf News newspaper. And my job out of school had been selling classified telesales advertising. Now, this is pre-internet. I don't know whether your listeners actually know that existed, but you bought and sold things in Dubai through the classifieds in the newspaper. Yeah, yeah? Um, And I had read the newspaper and thought, they're not very good at at writing these ads or expanding these Mm. ads. And I had said to this businessman, I reckon I can increase your newspaper size and sales um, and revenue through your classified sections. So that had been a seed when I came back to start my training business. Um, that was the first person I rang and he gave me a, a break. Like normally in, in any entrepreneur's life, there's the first customer who will forever remain in your heart. Yeah. Um, and he said, okay, give it a go. And we helped the newspaper grow. I'm going to say we, because I trained 20 ladies that were working in the classified department. Mm. And we grew the newspaper classified section from 16 pages to 32 to 64 Amazing. in six months. Amazing. And, and my learning business or my training business back then was born. Amazing. You said a couple of things I I would love to delve deeper into. You mentioned that something was speaking to you when you were here. I think many times entrepreneurs are very, uh, in many cases are very logical, look for explanations, but I, in your in your verbiage it seems like this decision wasn't necessarily driven by 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 logic and so i'd love to kind of get your take on this idea of when something speaks to you uh, and where else you've seen it kind of come up in your professional life great question i love the fact that your questions are really hard um gets us both thinking um I think you've got to sometimes rely on gut instinct, mm. okay? Intuition, that feeling that says, I don't know whether this is going to be right or wrong, but I feel like I should explore it a little bit. Now, you've got to understand, I was 25 years old. Yeah. I had no children. I didn't have any mortgage. I didn't have anything to risk. I mm. wasn't throwing away a big corporate career. I'd done very well, very fast. Um, but so it was low risk for me. But what was speaking to me was I was a small fish in a large pond in London Mm. and I could maybe be a slightly bigger fish, not a very big fish, but I could make a bigger difference Mm. in Dubai. And I saw low hanging fruit, people that wanted to do a good job, but had been employed, but not trained. Mm. So, you know, everybody says, oh, you started at the right time. Yeah, but I started at a time where nobody even knew what training was. You know, everybody was like, well, shouldn't they be able to do their job? That's why we hired them. Um, Yeah, but they could do their job better. Mm. So the instinct for me was I could make a difference. I felt like I could do something simple um, and it would enrich somebody else's lives, even though I didn't know the words then. Mm. Um, And I found that instinct, Tarek, since I find the instinct sometimes when I see a new product in America, mm. like Exonify that we have, and I was like, wow, that's going to change the world of learning for frontline employees. Mm. Now, it took four years before anybody else saw it. So four years of hard work and Matt, who you met in Saudi, mm. doing a great job mm. before it actually became a business that was worthwhile. Um, and a lot of the businesses that I or, or 
avenues I've taken in my business have been on instinct rather than good data-driven decisions, I'll be honest. Um, I think we've got a little bit better at data now, but most of the ones that have played big for us are the ones where I bet big, fast, and kind of like bamboozled everybody else to follow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel as I mature in my business, I become much more confident to take calls based on my gut instinct. What I love about your story is you took a call very early in your career. (laughs) (laughs) It was back in the days when overhead projectors were the most expensive thing. I mean, actually that first course, I couldn't afford to buy a computer, not that there were many around then. I bought a typewriter and I I typed with a lot of spelling mistakes, (laughs) that first training program. So my career has spanned... um, technology and I I find that fascinating too particularly because now I would consider myself to be one of the the entrepreneurs in our field that's trying to push the boundaries of technology in the learning space so maybe it's because I've seen all sorts of uh, of experiences in the last 30 years yeah and back on the kind of gut feeling Mm -hmm. if I'm an entrepreneur how do I develop a understanding of when my gut might be right versus when it might be wrong i would be a billionaire (laughs) if i could tell you that (laughs) um look i I, don't get me wrong i think data is a key role i think surrounding yourself with um smart capable people is another role in that Mm. Uh, you know you can bounce things off them and you can doesn't mean that they'll always be right. And by the way, I think customers are a huge role in that. But again, customers aren't always right. Sometimes you are Mm. looking at something they don't even know they're going to need in time to come. So I think you need to surround yourself with a number of those. Read voraciously, Mm. listen Mm. to podcasts, Mm. um, and and look at all the signs when they come together. Um, I, I think... I think it's hard to know whether you should follow your your gut or not. Mm. Um, but I love a piece from Jim Collins. Mm. Jim Collins, in his book, Great by Choice, I think mm. it was, he said, fire bullets, then cannonballs. Mm. So if you have an idea and your gut says, I'd like to do this, I think is this is the way that we need to go. What's a bullet that you could fire and then maybe recalibrate and then maybe recalibrate and then maybe recalibrate to get it right before you put the cannonball and the money yeah. in that direction. Mm. And so so if you've got a gut instinct, what is a small win or a small move that could say, do you still feel comfortable mm. with that? I think the bigger thing for me, and you've made me think about some decisions, is when your gut instinct tells you not to, mm. And the data and your team and all of the outside evidence say go for it. Mm. Because I think I've probably made some of my bigger mistakes when I haven't let that have an influence. It doesn't mean it's always right, but actually have a bigger influence. Yeah. And I find that especially pervasive when, in my experience, when it comes to hiring talents. Sometimes it's very tough to translate gut instinct in hiring down to other team members or across the organization and sometimes I can't put my finger on it but I just have a feeling a candidate won't work out Mm -hmm. but there's this 
drive. So I think on business decisions yeah. and on should we follow that product, should we go to this market, should we try this, my gut works. Um, on talent, I, I agree with you, there's a certain vibe that you get from mm. somebody. Mm. But I think nothing beats really, really strong interviewing, mm. good assessments, and then the secret sauce, lots of references. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and we're so busy and talent is sparse. Mm -hmm. So what tends to happen is one of those things goes. Either your interview doesn't necessarily include all the right people or the processes that you know have found you previous good players. Mm. Um, or you don't do the assessments this time because you think, hey, this person's got, you know, a Harvard MBA, yeah. so they won't need to do this assessment. Or you you just get the written references from the people that like them. Yeah. Um, you've got to pick up the phone and you've got to have a conversation with somebody, particularly for a key seat yeah. um, hire yeah. to make sure that how does this person show up? And we've always used top grading as a style of interviewing. Mm. And can I share kind of like some secret source questions that you can yeah, ask is that okay 100%. so and this is really fast so in, even if it's just in your first interview you're really asking people it's it's called talk threat of reference check mm -hmm. nicely yeah. you basically say look one of the things we do well is we do a lot of reference checks mm -hmm. here at biz group mm -hmm. um so looking at your resume um the, the the manager that you worked with in your last job not the current one obviously because we're not going to speak to them yeah. but in your last job what was his name oh, it was simon okay mm -hmm. When we speak to Simon, mm. how will Simon rate you on a scale of one to 10? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Now, that's a truth serum because mm. the person's gonna say, well, you know, Simon and I had a bit of a falling out, yeah. maybe not so well, yeah. or maybe they're gonna say, I think, you know, I'm still in touch with Simon, even though he's left the company, he'd probably rate me as an eight or a nine. Mm. Very few people say a 10, but they might. Mm. And you do that systematically for the last four or five hires. Mm and you get their response. Mm -hmm. And then of course you reference check Simon, Mary, yeah. Mohammed, yeah. Ahmed, yeah. and you see what they would say. Mm. And you let the referee be honest by saying, back then, mm. how would you have rated Tarek? Mm. Now that gives somebody the chance to be honest. Mm. Well, back then he was a little bit immature and maybe mm -hmm. he needed to grow, mm -hmm. but he might have improved by now. So what you start to get is a Complete truer, picture. Yeah. a truer picture. And if you can put those two parts together, that uh, threat of reference check and then actually doing the reference check gets you the truth in your interview. Yeah. Now there's a whole load of other things you have to do and competency-based interviewing and assessments and all of those other kind of things. But I would absolutely spend more time on hiring the right talent than having to performance manage that talent. 100%. Yeah. I learned the hard way. The <laughs> I've learned the hard way many times, Tarek, <laughs> not just once. I'm telling you the theory. It doesn't yeah. mean when we're under pressure that sometimes we don't do it 100% right. And then we are cross with ourselves because you always get the, the truth in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I learned the hard way around asking for people's names in the interview mm -hmm. that we can then use later in the reference checks because typically what we would do is we'd ask the person for references and then they just send you the ones they know are gonna come out uh, come out well. Um, I think the other thing that has, uh, the other thing I like about asking a person what would so-and-so say when we speak to them um, for me, it's always given me some sense of how self-aware they are, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes people are like, um, I don't know, you're going to have to talk to them. And then that tells me something <laughs> about the candidate themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Great insight. So 
you start off with growing a classifieds business. How does that eventually <laughs> evolve into well, where we are today? Well, I was a trainer for the classifieds business. Yeah. So this uh, on, the entrepreneur that owned the Gulf News, mm. I think he still does, had a number of other businesses as well. So he said, if you can do that with those yeah. people, can you do that in my furniture store? Can you do that in my head office? Can you do that in my motor company? And off we went. Um, and, and, and then pretty much... Um, six months in i was like okay maybe i need to find some people that really know what they're doing because i was a little bit like this i was i was in a passion project mm. i was enjoying what i was doing my energy was infectious i was a ferocious reader already by then so i was sharing concepts that maybe would be being used in the uk or in america but hadn't made it here on customer service or sales and and that was resonating with with young people that had been brought into Dubai to do a job but hadn't necessarily been upskilled. So my business started from literally from focusing on helping other people do their jobs better. Um, and then I realized that I actually had a had a concept and a, um, some ideas that resonated and we started formulating training programs. And in the current form of biz group what when did that really kind of come together to oh. say you know it's it's really interesting isn't it because like next year will be 30 years That's in amazing. business and um how does that make you feel old <laughs> um no proud uh, and old um proud because you know actually in the early days when i came here people said oh she'll never last mm. this is just uh, she's left london it's a bit of a boondoggle likes the sunshine that'll yeah. never last yeah. and here i am 30 years on actually sticking and growing a business that has changed as the markets changed as mm. clients have changed as the industry and has technologies changed mm. Um, what still exists from that original business is this passion to go in and really understand what are people doing in their jobs right now mm. and what does the business want to try and achieve and what's the gap in behavior? You know, maybe it's a sales skills gap. Maybe it's a productivity skills gap. Maybe it's a leadership in mm. a lot of instances mm. gap that we've got smart, capable people in our organizations and most of the time we're not allowing them to be smart and capable because the leader is wanting to tell them what to do. Mm. Um, or you've got middle managers that are desperately trying to find a way, but nobody from above them is telling them where we're going or mm. what the vision is or mm. how do we move forward. And so the actual business problems have not changed. Um, and I think that makes me feel a little bit sad in a way that 30 years on, I haven't managed to solve all of them. Mm. But, um, but people are people. And, and businesses have grown and there's new companies here all the time. So that fundamental um, reason for us to go into a company hasn't changed. But the tools in our toolbox, it's no longer my typewriter and my overhead projector. Mm, mm. You know, we've got AI-backed apps that are helping um, fire off daily brain-friendly questions so that you can remember the stuff and feel confident about what you need to know. We've got virtual reality, which is accelerating mm the time to self-awareness that we were talking about mm. and understanding how your behavior impacts other people, which can give you these very fast epiphany moments of that's what I'm like in my job. Um, and then we've got uh, new technology coming in, which puts learning in the flow of work. All of those are 
things in the last five years. Mm. Um, so, so the journey's been um, very exciting as yeah. an entrepreneur mm. because every year it's not the same. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 I've seen your business continue to evolve, and, and one of the things that kept coming up in your LinkedIn endorsements when I was talking talking you this morning <laughs> uh, was this idea that kind of every day is day zero mm-hmm. uh, and how have you developed that philosophy how do you create how, how do you have a philosophy like that become a driver versus b- becoming daunting okay I, I think it is daunting actually for everybody else <laughs> for me it's exciting yeah. and a driver um, yeah, that, let's exactly talk about let's talk about that for entrepreneurs yeah. that where, you know, the finish line is never there is what keeps them going. But then for everyone else, it's like, oh, when are we going to catch a break? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the daunting piece in a moment. But um, one of the tools that we use is multipliers as, as leaders. And Liz Wiseman identified, you know, find your native genius. What is it that you do easily and freely? Um, and then put it to work at the highest point of contribution. Well, my native genius in our business is called What's Next? Hmm. Um and it comes from a deep-rooted set of human behaviors that basically means I'm not very good at living in the present. Mm. I'm far better at figuring out what's happening next week, next month, next year, two years from now. Mm. Um, now, this showed up when I was a six-year-old asking my mum what birthday cake I'm going to have for my seventh birthday whilst yeah. looking at the sixth birthday yeah. cake um, and always asking what are we doing next weekend, what are we doing next month. And my life has always just that's where my my brain is wired and so as an entrepreneur what's kept me excited over the years is always looking for yes how do we master what we're doing now but what's coming down the pipe that our customers should know about but maybe don't know about and how is that going to impact or even cannibalize our existing business Mm. or kill it Mm. um and i'm fascinated by that a relationship between what's coming and what it might do to what's now and I'm very comfortable playing in the that future space rather than protecting mm. the business from what might come and hurt it now that makes it daunting absolutely uh, and I think I learned the hard way I used to come back from conferences I would go to a lot of them in America um, and I would read a lot I still do to try and see what's happening in the world in our in our arena and outside and I would come back and show up and throw up literally everything (laughs) that I just heard and you would see these kind of like (laughs) wide-eyed bizzers going like oh my gosh she's back from another conference (laughs) what's she bringing back with her now (laughs) (laughs) be warned Um, and I realized that that wasn't healthy Mm. Um, that doesn't mean I went to the point of bringing nothing back Um, But maybe I just paced it a little bit. Maybe I needed to sit and share it with a couple of people to begin with and see which things resonated. Maybe I needed to do some more reading about the bright idea that I've had. But I'll have to say that the big um, cannonballs we fired in some instances before bullets are some of the strongest parts of our business now. Mm. But they took a long time to get to that point. Maybe Mm. if I'd done it a little differently, it would have been a faster success path. Um, so yes, it is daunting, but I also think it's it, it's it can be exhausting but exhilarating mm. to work for an entrepreneur that 
is future focused. Yeah. One thing so there's, you know, we're going to spend the next year talking about some of the things you just mentioned, <laughs> but one of the things that I struggle with personally is this concept of there's all these things that could change the way our industry operates and starting to talk to the team about it. And sometimes I'll be thinking out loud mm-hmm. and then the team takes it as action. Action, And so, or, so that's one challenge I face. The other challenge I face sometimes is bringing the idea too early and starting to put some um, power behind it when it's not fully baked. Mm-hmm. How do you manage so, either of those? So again, re- referring to multipliers, that's called an accidental diminishing trait of idea fountain, yeah. okay? Just like 101 ideas. Mm. And the first thing that you talked about is, so often we share ideas with the intent to have other people contribute and share their ideas. Mm. But because we share too many, mm we become idea rich and other people become idea poor. Mm. So the very intent that you were trying to stimulate outside thinking, get them in, people go like, oh, this is Tarek's new idea of the day. Let's run off and see if we can action it. So the best way to handle that is label it. Mm. You say, okay, guys, I'm thinking out loud now. This is not an action. Mm. I'd like you to spar with me on this as to where it could go. It gives them permission to listen and get involved, but not necessarily be worried about this is going to become something. Mm. Uh, I think on the idea of how do you do a little bit more research and hold back is you need to find a, another idea buddy mm. in your life or mm. in your job where you can say, let's just close ourselves into a room right now and bounce this around yeah. a little bit and see how it could work. Um, there's a new book I've just read called The Six Types of Working Genius by Pat Lencioni. And he identifies six types of working genius, like it says on the title. And he identifies the first three, which I think are very interesting to entrepreneurs. And the second three are also really interesting. But the the first one is wonder. Mm. That's the kind of person that wonders, wonders, wonders how things can happen. The second one is invention, which is people that can often take that wonder and turn it into something. Now, Mm. that might be the same person. They might have two of those skills. Mm. And the third is discernment. Mm. Somebody that can look at the idea that's been put forward and maybe find holes in it, maybe find ways to make it better. And I think when you're an entrepreneur that is in that phase of evolving, changing, looking at what's going on, you actually need to make sure that you've maybe, it might not all be your skill, that you've got those three working together. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned multipliers a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. I'd love to delve into that a little bit more in the context of what it is, how you've applied it, how it's shaped you as a leader, and then potentially even kind of the company. Sure. Um, Well, Multipliers was the first international intellectual property that we took into the organization. So it has another, you know, big place in my heart. And it was, I was reading a business book a month. I was with Richard Dean on the radio Mm. at the time Mm. sharing book stories. And and I picked up this book, you know, you go through, when you used to go through airports all the time, you'd pick up these books and then you'd add them to the Tower of Guilt Mm. (laughs) in your your office. And it got to the top of my Tower of Guilt and I I read Multipliers and it spoke to me. Um, And I'll tell you the concept in the moment, but 
what I actually did was I picked up the phone and found Liz Wiseman, mm. the author, and I rang her and I said, I need more. The book's brilliant, but this needs to, A, I need more as a leader, but B, I think a lot of people need more. Are you going to make it a training course? Mm. And I literally persuaded her to not just be a keynote speaker, but to make this a program that we could take globally. So what is multipliers? It, um Liz used to work for Oracle mm. and she was there for 17 years in Oracle in, in the States. And she noticed that there were two types of leaders, leaders that were smart and capable, but almost shut down the intelligence of the people around them. Mm. They, they had to have all the brightest ideas. They needed to take up all the space. They needed the control to make the decisions. Mm. And al although they had people around them that were smart, that intelligence started to drop off well mm. why must i actually put all of this effort in if the boss is going to make the decision anyway mm. and then there were leaders that amplified the intelligence of other people almost mm. like light bulbs went off mm. they had a style of leadership that made others feel smart and capable and give more um, work harder work smarter and she noticed this difference and she studied why what made because mm. both leaders both types of leaders were smart, even pleasant, but one shut down intelligence and the other amplified intelligence. Mm. And so she wrote a book called Multipliers. It's a New York Times bestseller. She's a Thinkers 50 um, author. And we took that book back in uh, 2010, September of 2010, and, and helped shape that um, training course out of it. And we've been delivering it in the region um, ever since. And it's, a, it's not good manager, bad manager. Mm. It's managers that fall into traps of being idea fountains, mm, mm, thinking mm. that that's going to stimulate others when in fact it shuts others down. Mm. So it's just a really logical, you kind of like bash your head against the wall when you realize you're doing some of these things. Now, you asked a bigger question, how's it changed my leadership style? It's made me very aware of my leadership style. Um, the biggest challenge for entrepreneurs is that a lot of the traits that we call accidentally diminishing others are possibly some of the traits you need in your first year or two years of business when you've got five or 10 employees. But they're the very traits you actually have to lose if you want to grow your business beyond 20 people. Mm. So it's really interesting because they're innate in a lot of us mm. as entrepreneurs we're idea fountains we're always on we want to rescue people we want to um, set the pace we want to rapidly respond we want to make sure that we have everything perfect we want to be the strategist and all of those things when overdone and um, suffocating can stop other people thinking yeah, and, and to a large extent, I, I feel that sometimes your biggest strength is also your biggest weakness, right? And it may not necessarily be that in, for specific characteristics, it may not be that I need to shed those. Mm -hmm. It's about how do I fine-tune it and control yeah. it, right? Turn it down a little yeah, or label it, like I said to you, mm -hmm. hey, guys, I'm in idea fountain mm -hmm. mode. I, I, I need to think out loud, riff with me. Yeah. Um, is a very different outcome than spouting off a whole load of ideas and people are furiously writing yeah. down because they think they need to action. Yeah, 100%. You know, the one that comes to mind a lot when talking to entrepreneurs is this, the idea of stubbornness, mm -hmm. right? You almost have to be stubborn, 
right? Everyone told you it would never work, and <laughs> and and here you are, thirty years later, um, and so you have to have that element of stubbornness, but then you have to know when to tone it down so you can listen, so I can hear the team's feedback or he- listen to the market, and so a lot of these characteristics are kind of double-edged swords. Um, Absolutely, and I think you you mentioned mm, self-awareness earlier. Self-awareness, get a coach. Mm. You know, um, ask somebody close to you, how might I be accidentally diminishing the people around me? What are the things that are getting in the way? Um, Just be be humble enough to realize that we don't always get it right. Yeah, absolutely. How do you determine when you're firing bullets, as you've said, how do you determine when to continue to invest and have the conviction that this might turn into a cannonball versus pulling the plug? Uh, I get a sense that when an organization grows and the main thing is the main thing and we're on the side trying to expand, go into a new space, that many organizations pull the plug too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how do, you, how do you think about what's the right time? Um, I think I've probably been more on the, the other side of when's the right time to put the investment in. Mm. So cannonball, not sure, cannonball, not uh, sorry, uh, bullet, not sure, mm. bullet, not sure, another bullet, okay, let's just fire another bullet. Mm. And, and I've been a very cautious um, entrepreneur in what I would call those big investments. Um, a lot of it's been um, organic growth and and everything's been self-funded. So yeah. I've never borrowed a, yeah. a dirham um, in the 30 years. Um, and so, so that maybe meant we've grown slower than if I'd been bold enough to do those big investments. Mm. So I don't think I've ever had to be at a point where I'm going, okay, I'm pulling the plug because, you know, I've now just sunk X million into this idea that's not working anymore. But I have failed in a, you know, I started a magazine because there wasn't an HR magazine. It was not my core business. I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm. We found some partners who weren't entrepreneurs and I thought I could give them that side of it. Mm. That didn't work. We tried to build a, a permanent team building site out near Babel Shams, mm. sunk a bit of money into that, mm. and but probably more a lot of time and ideas and people resources, and that didn't work. Um, so I've made some wrong bets mm. on things, but um, always with cash that we could afford to Mm-hmm. to play with mm-hmm. um i don't know i you know it's it's we're all expanding our businesses into saudi right yeah, now you yeah. know that's the market where we all know mm-hmm. there's more people there's more need there's a, a real big need to expand and um help more people do their jobs better and that's scary mm-hmm. it's a whole new it's a whole new market it's mm-hmm. a it's a very dynamic and growing market, but I wouldn't be being honest if I didn't go, that's actually scares me quite a lot. That's mm. probably a big bet that mm. we're, we've been firing bullets for a while and mm. it's time for the cannonball. Yeah. So takeaway is you have to kind of play it bet by bet. There's no real... I'm sure, look, yeah. I, I think data tells you an awful lot. Mm. Have a great financial person in mm. your team, I do. Mm. Um, make sure that they are giving you the data and the risks and the advantages of what we're going to do and make sure it's a decision. I think when you start to make those bigger bets, certainly Saudi for me was a decision as a team um, because 
it can't be something where I'm the only one going like, let's make it yeah, work. Yeah. Whereas before with a product or a book or a, a concept, perhaps I could be the passion person that could drive that forward. Um, but with a decision to geographically expand, it actually means boots on the ground. It means more people looking at it. It means more than just one person um, deciding to grow that space. Mm. And so I think that for me is very much a is the team on board and how do we make sure every step of the way the team is still analyzing and going, yeah, this is what we're in the right direction. Let's mm. course correct. Let's change the bullet this way. So mm. that was very much a team decision. Yeah. It's clear that you're a voracious reader. And so to be honest, it's something I've only developed in the past two years. Uh, and one thing that's worked for me is I'm just always reading. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is if it's on my on my phone, if I'm in a cab. So that's the only way I can get through. Yeah, little bits. Little bits. So I want to learn from you what kind of things you've learned about being an effective reader. Oh, nice question. Um, I was always the hard book, pick it up at the airport, mm. plain time reader. Now, obviously, that's reduced quite a lot. Um and I have to say, I still like to buy the book. The reason why I like to buy the book is I want to scribble all over it. Mm. So the best books in my bookshelf are the ones that when you open them up, they've got names on the inside and sticky tabs in them and underlines and highlights and all of that kind of stuff because it's speaking to me as I read it. But in order to be able to read enough now, audiobooks are my friend. Mm. Um, and you know what? The traffic is letting me read more right yeah, now. Yeah. It used to take me 20 minutes to get to work. It takes 40 to get there and an hour often to get home. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I've now got an hour and 40 minutes of audio listening time. Mm. Um, now, classic, I'm currently listening to, uh, to Jim Collins' um, Entrepreneurship 4.0. Is it 2.0? 4.0? BE 2.0. Okay. Um, and uh, I've got the hard copy book, but I was never getting time to actually sit and read it. So mm. I bought the audio book as well. Mm. And I'm loving it. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to have to go back now and read uh, the book so I can underline all the things that I can't do whilst I'm driving. Yeah, yeah that's the struggle I've had with audiobooks. is I'm also a massive note taker. Mm -hmm. And so I'll... I'll be like, uh, how am I going to remember this? Well, so so I do it. I, I I read the audio book to know, do you know, sometimes you get these books and you get past chapter one and you're like, okay, you said that in chapter one. Okay, yeah. you know, in chapter three, okay, you said that in chapter yeah. two. Okay, I don't need to read this whole book. I got the concept. I, but, but somebody said to me, oh, I read the book summaries. That's all I do. And I said, yeah, but here's the problem for me. I remember reading or watching a YouTube clip of a book and it was kind of like, I don't know, two minutes. Mm. And I thought about the concept for maybe four minutes. Mm. When I read the book, it was six hours of my life, maybe eight hours of my life. Mm. And I thought about the concept for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's interesting for me is if you really want these things to change the way you think or, yeah. or be behave, it actually needs to sink in. Mm. Um, and so you need to do the hard yards. You need to do the reading or the listening. So I will listen for mm. should I read? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> then maybe I might remember it after I've written the notes. <laughs> yeah, I think two things that changed my perception or my ability to read uh, on a continuous basis was one, I don't have to finish a book because mm -hmm. I, 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 I yeah, yeah, I'd get I'd get stuck in books that you know I just 
probably I would dread reading. Mm-hmm. And so that was one was this as soon as I figured out that I, oh, I don't have to finish a book, it was freeing. I felt like a bird <laughs> out of a cage. Um, and the second one was uh, reading multiple books at the same time. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's, you know, sometimes I feel like going deep on a specific person's biography. Sometimes I feel like reading something light and sometimes I feel like reading a book that's going to transform the way I think about business. Mm-hmm. And when I was stuck with just one book, maybe in that specific moment, I wasn't in the mood for mm-hmm. that type of topic. And yep. so those two things really nice. changed the way I, I read. And so I, I'd love to ask a tall task of what are some of the books that have changed your life? Okay, it's not a tall task for me. Um, it's finding the, well, obviously I've talked about multipliers, yeah. changed my life. And Wrote actually her recent book um, called Impact Players, um, the reason why I love Impact Players by Liz Wiseman is we talked earlier about talent and you know when you've got somebody in your team and you just, they're an A player and you've got somebody else in your team, really nice person, but you kind of like go, they're a B player. Mm. And before Impact Players, I would talk about A players and B players, but I couldn't necessarily tell you why. Both mm. smart, capable people, both really like them just not sure what's that difference between the two mm. and impact players nails it okay. and so it actually not only gives you the tools to say to the b player hey look these are some of the things i think you need to start doing mm. but it also gives you a chance to recognize why the a player is so good and so mm. it was magic so i love that book as well so that's what a, a recent edition um my classics would always be good to great mm. um i liked jim collins's book how the mighty fall mm. um purely because it has a great um, checklist in there to make sure whether you're getting a little bit arrogant or full of hubris mm. or perhaps starting to scale too fast. So for those entrepreneurs that have the bigger businesses that may be are betting on bigger deals, I think they need to read um, How the Mighty Fall. And I often go back and just do a quick check on that checklist of, of the leadership team. Um, I love all Pat Lencioni's books. Mm. He writes a fable followed by a model, so five dysfunctions of a team, his recent one, six um, types of working genius. He has another great one, which is a good death by meeting. Mm. Um, all little things that are very practical. Um, so I like his content. Um, who else would I put on my top list? Great by choice, Jim Collins is, is another mm. good strategy book. Um, so that'd probably be my hit list. Nice. I heard you say a couple of things today that I'm definitely going to be walking away with. Um, one is the importance of purpose in, in, in driving myself. Uh, and the second is, you know, trusting, trusting the gut, uh, and the importance of doing that sometimes, even if the data tells you otherwise, you kind of reinforced and reiterated my, desire to continue to read ferociously and so i appreciate that a lot and you know this idea of being a leader that amplifies uh and i'll definitely be thinking about this concept of shooting bullets versus cannonballs for the next next uh, few months and so i've learned a lot from this conversation hazel the time's flown by uh but i really appreciate you for taking the time to chit chat i've enjoyed it great questions thank you very much for making me think thanks a lot 